When we first got here We thought that waxwork was a website Now it seems so clear We've all been purified in its light We're not ashamed To say our faith has been determined Now our temple's framed This day in history's awesome and As the homepage loads We're baptized in its HTML codes Holywaxwork.com has Nathan Bennett Holywaxwork.com has Slam Jackson too Holywaxwork.com can help the truth set in And Holywaxwork.com makes it clear to you Atheists, this I can heal your disillusion. Add it to your list. Bookmark your way to absolution. Watch the counter rise. One more to join our congregation. Once they realize this website holds their soul salvation we're absolved of sin the moment that we type that address in say it with me now onlywaxwork.com has frank allen's queries onlywaxwork.com has jordan on you Onlywaxwork.com can make Satan wary. Onlywaxwork.com makes him want to puke. Onlywaxwork.com has got scapy stories. Onlywaxwork.com is where they are stored. Onlywaxwork.com can lead us to glory. Cause Onlywaxwork.com is Jesus our Lord. Onlywaxwork.com is Jesus our Lord. Onlywaxwork.com is Jesus our Lord. Thank you for listening to Waxwork.com's cast in wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and that was OnlyWaxwork.com, a slightly modified version, um, just for the fun of it. Why not, right? Thank you for listening today. Uh, 100 episodes ago, we heard a very special show. And that show was a show where, instead of playing the normal shows, we did a, a, a fill-in episode featuring a radio drama by Mr. Jacob Thompson called... Excellent job opportunities for the end of the world. Now, that show uh, had a concept in it, which the episode was named after. It was called uh, Find a Replacement for Yourself. In the show, someone had to find a replacement for themselves. Now, I was inspired by this, and I thought, why not come to this episode of the podcast and say, hello, my podcast compatriots and my co-host, Mr. Frank Allen. Hello. Mr. Rory Sinjin. Yes, hello. And Mr. Scape White. Hi. How's it going? And why not say to you guys, I am putting forth the challenge that the three of you must find a replacement for yourselves. Or rather, let's 
put it a slightly different way, the three of you must replace each other. I'm sorry, what? What I mean by that is I'm going to have a little shake-up. I don't like the sound of that. No, no, it'll be quite all right. You see, what we're going to have happen is over the next three episodes, not including this one, I want to give you guys time to prepare, but over the three episodes that follow, we are going to have one new show per episode. And basically, we're going to have each of you do your take on what the others, what one of the others does. So, Frank, yeah, I want to have your take on what Rory does. Where I just make stuff up and lie. No, that's not what I do. No, I, no, I want, that's the thing, is I want you to show that you can come up with a better thing to contribute than he does. Well, now, hold on a second. Well, wait, Rory, hold on, because you are going to be doing what Scapey does. Sleeping through the podcast. No, again, no. Find the thing that he contributes that is positive, you see, and and then work that out. You see what I'm saying? Dad, you're trying to replace me? No, no, because again, <laughs> do you not understand this is going to be a circle? I don't know what that means. It's, okay. You're escape. You're gonna you're gonna do something that's that Frank does. I want basically. I want each of you to try doing something the other one does valuably. So it's gonna be a change up. You see, that's gonna be a, a, a shift, a switcheroo. That sounds like a terrible idea. Not to mention, Frank's already shown that he does a lousy job at the things we do when he ripped off our ideas for his program. You mean my program that was a, a, a very highly regarded and well watched show? Well, until the killing. That's not. Yeah, but that has nothing to and do well, with. That's what you say. So yes. what? So what am I gonna do? Well, we'll escape. Basically, you have to look at what Frank does. Try to look back over the over the years of the podcast. Think about what. Frank has contributed well, and see if you can do something in that vein. And see, what's, um, what's the point of all this? Well, I, I mean, again, take take your time. I mean, if we can announce what you guys are going to do by the end of the podcast, if you guys can think of something, that would be great. But otherwise, it's not a big deal. We'll, we'll hear them over the next three weeks. Uh, well, it, hopefully three weeks, but definitely over the next three episodes. And basically, then we'll put the audience to a vote, and they will be able to vote on which segment they want to see more of, or hear more of. I should say it's an audio podcast, not a video one. And then we will allow them to hear more of that. That sounds like, so. It's like a, it's like a little contest. Well, it's a con- I mean, a contest between us, right? Well, you know, you know, it's it's like a reality show. It's uh, the old switcheroo replacement reality show. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's not a good name. But let me think of a better name for I it. I can host this reality show if you need a host for it. No, I'm the host of it. I it's I, it's on this podcast. You guys are the contestants. Frank, Rory, Scape. Um, let's call it the Great Replacement. No, that's not good. Um, what if we call it uh, Stepping In for the Stars? No, Stepping In for the segment. No. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to think of a name for it. But at any rate, this is the reality show where the cast in wax. Ooh, this should be based on cast in wax. How about cast in? Oh, recast in wax. How about that? Yes, that is the name of our reality show. Recast in wax. That's pretty clever, actually. I do like that. Yes, what's that? I don't care. Well, I, that's fine. It is what it is. Recast in wax. We're going to have our special three-part recast in wax segments in which the three of you, in fact, you know what? Let's make it formal. By the end of this show, you have to think about what you're going to do. I want the name and concept for your show by the end of this this show that we're in right now. But that's, that's going to be like an hour. That's like that's like no time at all. Less than an hour. Less than an hour because I probably will want to talk about it before we do listener oh, mail. come on now, George. That's, oh, God. Well, then I should start concentrating. Yes. I don't particularly care. Well, that's a healthy attitude. But you never know. You might win as a result. So, like I said, uh, you guys start thinking while we are doing this. And um, what have we got going on? Well, we've got a whole bunch of cereals today. And we've got three Radio serials from our friends in Binghamton. Uh, and we also got, it's been ages since we got one of these, but we got a piece of audio mail. Don't forget everyone, and I mean everyone out there. If you want to send us a piece of audio mail, record a little MP3 and send it on to us at castandwax at gmail.com, as our good friend Sir Byron Samuels did. 
Here's what he had to say. These present Byron Samuels, and not an offense, defense, whatever. I'm writing an audio letter in simply to uh, prepond to certain misspersions that's being crashed by this Lord Vest in the other uh, episode of the podcast who said that I didn't preserve my title as the multiple deflatiator, I'll tell you right now, I do preserve the title, and I will stand up to pretend that title anywhere and any place. So if that constitutes a challenge, consider that challenge absolutely 100% projected. Now, just for his instigation, he's talking about clothes all the time. Clothes are talk about climate. You're always so hot there. Clothes are what cause people to freeze to death. Because you look in the uh, the most uh, larctic climates, you'll find people wearing lots of clothes. The more clothes people own, the colder they get. Up in the north, people wearing clothes all the time. You find people down in the south, in the Caribbean, in the Haiti, and they're not wearing clothes almost at all. You find a whole country. You go to Ecuador's. It's not entirely a country of nudists. I've never been there, but it might as well be. They don't wear as many clothes. So the more clothes you wear, the colder you are. And you find people up in the north, people freeze to death out in Russia or Alaska. It's fine when people wear a lot of clothes in those countries. So there's a public health risk. And Lord Vest promoting clothes, he's a danger to public satiety. Well, I'm also going to present these programs we got on the radio. The program we got, uh, Slam Jackson is, uh, is a protective, and we also got uh, Nathan Van Etten Saves Vermont, which pretty much does what it says in the title. So one of my friends over in Spingerton has given me these uh, programs to put on the, uh, the podcast. So I hope all of you enjoy those, and my challenge has gone out and been disseminated against Lord Vest. If he has a response to that or he wants to deflate me at any time, I am ready, willing, and mable. This President Byron Samuels, not an offense, something, ready to deflate. Lord Zest, if you don't answer this, you're a Howard, and the whole world knows it. Wow, that's some serious, some serious language. Um, he, in case you didn't understand that, was responding to last episode... Lord Zest uh, kind of threw down the gauntlet and said he would re-challenge President Samuels to the title of uh, deba- ultimate debatiator. Um, but here's the thing. I-, I might be able to make that happen. I might be able to find a way to make that happen. But I'm going to have to wait until after we recast and wax, for sure. Because these three have got their work cut out. Jordan, don't distract me. I'm trying to... I'm not, I didn't even say your name. Well, just leave me alone. Fine. Um, anyway... Uh, so, President Samuels, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. So, of course, I'll have you on whenever you want. And I will try. I will try my derndest to get you and Lord Zest, not Vest, but Zest, in the same place into a debatatorium of some sort, preferably with Mr. Frank Allen hosting it, and uh, and see if we can re-debate something. Or, well, you'll, you'll, you'll see. Uh, we'll come up with some way to do it. For now, though, I do want to talk, actually, for just a moment. Guys, can you... Can you join into the conversation for a minute why well we're trying to think of stuff for our shows yes jordan i mean you did just issue us a challenge yeah i know but this is important this is important in that letter president samuels puts forth what i think is a pretty important scientific theory which is that the more clothes you wear the colder you get and i just want to see if we can talk about this because he, you know he is logically right the further north you go from the equator the more clothes people seem to wear and the more likely they are to freeze to death 
It seems like the less you wear, the less likely you are to freeze to death. No, that's. I think that that's some sort of logical fallacy. I don't like. It sounds like a scientific principle to me. I, I think he's 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 implying a, a causality where where there might not be one. I think the causality might go in a in a different direction. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So, for example, it could be that. Oh, th- and this is a this is a good possibility. The further from the equator you get, the more clothes you wear. So. It's sort of as though there's some sort of a gravity effect that the further from the equator you get, the more clothing is drawn to your body. You know, I didn't think that's what Frank meant. I, I don't. That's, that wasn't what I meant. But it seems like a reasonable principle. I mean, okay, what are, what are all the possibilities? We've got three variables, equator distance, likelihood of freezing to death, and uh, a number of clothing items. So you could say that the more – we already said the more likely – more clothes you wear, the more likely you are to freeze to death. Um and then I just put forward the idea that it's that it's the other way, that it's the further you are from the equator, the more clothes you are wearing. And then the third possibility would be a relationship between the distance from the equator and the likelihood to freeze to death. So let's say the more likely you are to freeze to death, the colder you are, the further you are from the equator. So that's sort of like a magnetic, like like polar thing. So the colder your body gets, the more you're pushed away from the equator. No, Jordan, no. Are you are you a person who knows anything about science? Because I thought you were. Yeah, the, these are. I'm just putting forward. These are the theories that I'm putting forth. These are possible answers. You're neglecting the the biggest one. Which one? The further you are from the equator, the more likely you are to freeze to death. Ah, is that true? Yes, and the more likely you are to freeze to death, the more likely you will wear clothing to try not to freeze to death. Oh, okay. So the purpose of clothing, rather than being a thing that pushes you away from the equator. No, that definitely never happened. Yes, I don't know where you got that idea. Okay, right. So not when you put on clothes, it does not repel you from the equator. Rather, it tries to, it is a, it is a, the purpose of clothing is to, to try not to freeze to death. Yes, of course. Well, I don't know if that's an of course. Yes, it is, Jordan, it is an of course. In this world, we wear clothing to try not to get too cold. Well, I mean, also to be cool. I'm sorry? We wear clothing to become cool no no clothing makes us warmer well i understand what you're saying yeah because it traps in heat but at the same time i would say sometimes we put on clothes because the clothes make us cooler and sometimes people take off clothes because taking the clothes off makes them hotter you know that those are euphemisms right yeah euphemisms for heat no euphemisms that allude to heat but there's always some sort of grain of truth in 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 a in a euphemism or in a, in a lie euphemism is not another word for lie i know i know but i'm saying they're similar a, a euphemism and a lie are i mean a euphemism is kind of like a type of lie no i didn't think it is you can trust rory unless he's an expert on lying no frank i didn't say that well i said that so. guys uh, what i'm trying to say is they're gonna put the word cool Meaning cool, because it has something to do with being cool, right? Well, I mean, like being cool under pressure, meaning that you're not sweating things. Right, right, exactly. If if you're feeling hot under the collar and you're sweating, that's sweaty. But if you're feeling cool, you're keeping cool, that's a nice refreshing coolness. And that's something that you can't be cool naked, for example. You have to be like wearing cool clothes. Yeah, but if you're wearing too many clothes, you're definitely not going to be cool. You're right. There is kind of a, a sweet spot in the in the clothing threshold. For where cool is. But again, you're also not going to be hot just because you've put on lots of clothes. Like I'm like, look at how hot that person is. They got all this anorax on and and and, and layers and layers and layers. Like, no, I'm going to be like, oh man, look at how hot that person is. They're barely wearing anything. So there's a, there's a heat that comes from not wearing clothes. No, not wearing clothes comes from heat. Right. But even in Alaska, if 
you know, if a girl's taking off all her clothes, that's hot. That's not cold. In fact, keeping her clothes on is kind of cold. Now, she's cold. That's why she's keeping her clothes on. I wouldn't say cold. I mean, she just is making a choice not to share her sexuality with you, and that's her opinion. You know, I meant temperature cold. I didn't mean that kind of cold. So you're not saying frigid. Well, the air is frigid. The air is withholding? No, that's not what I meant. The point is, taking the clothes off is hot. So you make the hotness by taking the clothes off. I think President Samuel sounds like he's right. Then you're an idiot, and you're taking time away from our show. What show? The show that I'm trying to come up with to be better than him. Well, you know, it's not going to happen, so don't bother wasting your time. Yeah, but you guys still have responsibilities to the podcast, even if you're thinking those things up. You have to be able to do both. Well, I don't think that's quite fair. I mean, you just issue this challenge and all of a sudden we're competing. Well, Frank, if you want, you can just give up. I mean, you don't have to, to play the game. Yeah, then I automatically lose. Well, right, of course. Yes, I think you should really do that. Well, it's not, I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's, that sounds like something Scape would do. Yes, look, he's already asleep again. Scape, Scape, wake up. What's going on, guys? Scape, you're supposed to be, well, first of all, you're supposed to be co-hosting the podcast. And second of all, you've got to think about your show. I already thought about my show. What? I already came up with what show I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do already. You do? Well, uh, fine then. Before we get to the, uh, the, the shows for the week, why don't you tell us all about it? Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to do a show called The Scape Debate. And that's a show where I will have somebody come on and debate me about a thing that is a topic that we can debate about. And then, uh, we will solve it. All right. Well, see, that's actually... Exactly in the spirit of what I wanted. That's that's perfect, Scape. Thank you, thank you. It's gonna work. See, guys, like, this is what this is what you should be doing. Well, I'm gonna. That's what I'm. I, I'm gonna come up with something that is like that. As am I. I just haven't. I just haven't. You know, I didn't come up with it yet. But I'm. I'm in the. I'm in the process. So right. Right. Okay, guys. All right. Well, you've got a little bit of time because we have. Let's get right to our shows. We've got um, Byron mentioned. We've got Slam Jackson, the last episode of the second season of Slam Jackson. We've got Nathan Van Etten Saves Vermont, the last episode of Nathan Van Etten Saves Vermont. And we've also got the first episode of kind of a returning serial. It's called Chop Henderson Incarcerated. Hopefully you will all enjoy all three of those. I think we're going to go Slam, Chop, Nathan. And did forget this day in history stuck in between with where are they now in history updates from celebrities. Right, of course. Yes, how could I forget that? Anyway, uh, here we are and enjoy. Slam Jackson Adventurist By Bowers, Berman, and Schwartz. Season 2, Episode 15, The Concluding Conflagration. Our story opens, extraordinary eavesdroppers, with Slam Jackson, private investigator and famed dick. Not responding to my attempts to goad him into an argument, and thereby supporting communism and the Holocaust. So... You're gay, huh, Slam Jackson? I only speak to people who pay their rent. Not true! I can think of several people who don't pay your rent whom you have spoken to. Your brother, for instance. And Nathan Van Etten! Those are not people you want to be like. How convincingly Slam Jackson pretends to read! How deeply he seems to be concentrating! How embarrassed he is that the book is upside down! Ha! I got you! No, it wasn't! And how terrible his aim is when throwing books! 
Don't you have somewhere to be? Isn't tonight your Scrabble night with Annie? We have stopped playing Scrabble because I am crap at it! Somehow her incisive reporter's mind allows her invariably to know precisely what tiles I have. You're always announcing which tiles you have. Hmm. That could be it. I see you're talking now, you loquacious lover of... lameness! What are you doing in my house? Ironing! Your clothes! I live here too! No, I mean that guy. Burning it down! Huh? And accompanied by the odiferous fragrance of fresh gasoline, a nondescript man, not easily placed, appears in Slam Jackson's messy and uninhabitable living room. Uninhabitable? Why do you want to live here if it's so uninhabitable? As a test of my willpower, good buddy! As a test of your- You- What are you doing in here? Just told ya! How redundant the queries of our stultifying stopper of suspense! How- Wait, did you just say you were burning my house down? Yes! What?! Who are you?! I'm Arson Nick! Nice to meet you! Arson Nick. Really? Why? I'm an arsonist, and Nick is short for Nicholas! And you're here to get some kind of revenge on something I did. Like- No! Okay, you got me. Why are you burning my house down? I'm an arsonist! Your house is flammable! And filthy! Which makes it more flammable! Good thing I'm not getting in your way by helping you defeat this guy, right, Slam? Look, we've been sitting here for five minutes and obviously the house isn't- And there's smoke. I told you, I'm an arsonist, not a liar. Look, of all of my arch enemies- Get over yourself, Jesus. Arch enemy, I don't even know you, or your boyfriend. I'm not- Yes, you are! Not his boyfriend. Are you guys gonna get out of this burning house? Wait, you don't know? Why are you burning my house down? We covered this, poor childhood or something. Why are you still here? Can't we work this out or something? Outside, smoke inhalation will kill you first. But what is your motivation? I'm leaving. My motivation? The house is on fire. This is horrible. Yeah. Uh. Tune in next. <laughs> tune in next. Tune in next time. <laughs> next season, when we return with more from <laughs> Slam Jackson. <laughs> In that episode of Slam Jackson Adventurist, a narrator was Mickey Weishner, Slam Jackson was Jack Kunrad, and Arson Nick was Ed Jones. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On July 9th, 1972, at a London concert hall, singer David Bowie appears for the first time as alter ego Ziggy Stardust. Intended as a satiric parody of larger-than-life rock stars, Ziggy was actually taken seriously by many rock critics and fans, and Bowie as Ziggy became a major star. Freak out in a Moon Age daydream. Oh yeah. Shake it, baby. Lay the real thing on me. Darling. Yes? Yeah, I, yes, I think you should stop singing to yourself and figure out where to park so we can go in. Oh, yes, of course. Um, uh, oh, that there's a spot right there. In fact, the entire side of the street is open. Let's just park right here. No, uh, I don't... Uh, well, you, I mean, I, I guess that works. I mean, there's no one here, and it's... Uh, no, that's true, that's true. Let's I mean, just go in. Might as well just take a spot if you can. It's London. Sounds good. Excuse me, Mr. Stardust? Oh, yes? I'm a police officer. I could tell. Your PC uniform PC-compatible is, simply... is my name. It's simply 
fabulous. I'm going to have to take you into the station because you've parked your car incorrectly. In this way, I'm going to end your fabulous rock career. No. Now it's time to unmask the criminal. No. <laughs> we need soul love. David Bowie. Wow. I'll have to let you off as you are a celebrity and very well known. You're right. Thank you. Come on, honey. I have a crowd to wow. Wow. Good thing nothing terrible happened to us or that would have been horrible that we parked in the wrong spot. No, he'll just give us lots of parking tickets. But because I'm rich, we'll be able to afford them. I'll give you a free parking ticket if I can have a free ticket to your show. Here you go, love. All right, here's your parking ticket. It's all fair. Unfortunately, shortly thereafter, a space capsule piloted by Major Tom did crash into that exact spot, which was very unfortunate for Ziggy Sardis. He had to hitchhike home and he died. David Bowie did live on and had a lot of albums. But make sure that you are aware of parking laws where you are parking. And uh, that's about that. This is This Day in History on WHIW Binghamton. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHIW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On July 16th, 1945, the United States conducts the first test of the atomic bomb at its research facility in Los Alamos, New Mexico. The terrifying new weapon would quickly become a focal point in the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. Let us not have bomb dropped on us. Oh yes, no one bomb dropped on me. No, we don't want the bomb dropped on the Irish either, do we? What How do you like my accents? You think they're any good? I loved them, man. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's push the button and... Oh, did you just... I, uh, I think I... Yeah. Oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, crap. Where, where did that go down? Um. um oh, no. Zimbabwe. Oh. All right, I think I can do this. We don't want the bomb dropped on top of us. That's not really... No. I don't know. You need more pops and clicks. I, I don't have an old 78 record or anything around. I mean... You mean more like... Well, let's try the pressing the button again and... Where'd it go? Uh, where'd uh, that land? Uh... Uh, Russia! Russia. I can do Russian accent better than Zimbabwe. In Soviet Russia, bomb drop you! <laughs> <laughs> I am dead okay. Russian. Bomb has been dropped on me. Oh, no! Hey, guys, don't do that. Why? What? It's funny. It's hilarious, man. Well, it may, may be funny, but if you're using ethnic and, and national stereotypes, you're really just dropping bombs on people and killing them by the millions. Wow, you're right. We're doing both of those things. Oh, my At God. Time. Oh, gods. Um, I won't do any funny accents anymore. Or, or drop nuclear bombs. Fortunately, uh, all the countries that they made fun of had already been blown up before anyone was offended. But in your life, you should make sure not to make jokes at others' expenses, be they based on nationality, race, or ethnicity, anything like that. It's very offensive, and it will probably make someone upset. They might even punch you. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Okay, but this is not nice to Russia. My name is uh, Vladimir Putin, and this is Celebrity, where are they now in history on Casting Wax? Now, I am uh, president of Russia, and during my term, I did many things for uh, the Russian people. Uh, for example, I taught everyone in Russia how to play all sports, and that is why we are going to do so well in this year's Olympics. Another thing that I did was introduce Russia to the idea of time travel and we did develop uh, time travel abilities we found out about this uh, recording uh, of people making fun of Russia voice uh, that that happened in America and so we sent a time travel agent back in time and then it is because of this agent that Major Tom who is a famous uh, astronaut from USA 
die from revenge of Russia time travel. This agent made the capsule fall on Ziggy Stardust. It was never my intention to uh, hurt Ziggy Stardust. That is why another time travel agent had gone back in time even further and zoned no parking zone in London at that place. Ziggy Stardust did not listen to science. So, if Ziggy Stardust listened to science, he not die. If America not do funny voices of Russia voice, uh, Ziggy Stardust not die. So, uh, Russia will win Olympics uh, because of me. My name is Vladimir Putin, president of Russia once again. Celebrity, where are they now in history? On Kasten Wax. Chop Henderson, incarcerated. By Charles Barman, Pete Bowers, and Mickey Weishner. Episode 1, Return of the Living Thread. He once killed a Girl Scout in a trap that she built for him. He once bought all the size 12 shoes from a single shoe store. He once killed a guy in a hardware store because he was holding a hatchet. And now he's behind bars in Metrodale County Prison, awaiting trial for serial murder. What a dumbass. Assuming the dumbass we're talking about is Chop Henderson. And here sits me, Ralph. And you may ask yourself why I'm narrating for Chop again, when only six months ago I was sitting on a pile of his money. Let me explain. It all began on the first day of his internment. Chin up, Bogworth! Craning neck, sir. We won't be in this den of thieves for long. With my inexhaustible supplies of money and violence, we'll get the best justice that money can buy. If you say so, sir. I do say so, sir. All right, you two, this way. Oh, boy, fellas, you know what I smell? Fresh fish, eh, buddy? How you doing? <laughs> oh, goody. It's been so long since my last meal of Alaskan cod. I believe they're talking about you, sir. What quaint colloquialisms they have in this place. Clearly, these uneducated masses cannot distinguish the rich from fish. How intriguing! In here, you two, move it! Hmm. Well, I suppose this will have to do. A bit short on space, and uh, uh, furniture, and uh, weapons rooms. There's no swimming pools. Uh, where will Bogworth be staying? With you, you murdering bastard! Well, that's no way to keep yourself not murdered! Come on now, think about it. There's some pretty violent types in here. We'll see if you're such a dumbass tomorrow. Have a good night, ladies. Heavens, they can't even tell genders in here. Not much sleep was to be had in their first night in prison. I would also find it hard to sleep to the lullabies of here fishy fishy, here fishy fishy. Soon after, Chop's metal was put to the test. Hey. Give me your muffin. But, 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 th- th- this is orange cranberry. Or cranberry orange, I'm not sure which one, but it's my favorite. Because, because it's on my plate. Okay, how about you give me your muffin, 
before I rip your head off and shit down your neck. You can't really do that. Besides, I am not beneath defending my honor. This looks like a job for... Bogworth, remove this tattooed antagonist. Um, Bogworth? This one's all you, master. Why the impertinence? Yo, give me your muffin now. I haven't got all day to stand around and... Uh, excuse me. I'm dealing with a real problem here. Somebody is being insubordinate. Yo, turn around and face me, you You, Pollymouth, you wait your turn. All right, that's it. Now back with that. Whoa! You, you can Not in the, not in the face, not in the face. Come here, you punk. Yeah, ain't I so tough now? Gonna give me that muffin yet? No. All right, let's go, man. Let's go. Oh, we mean not the face. I'm gonna hit you in the face. Back in the cell of operations. And after all that, he didn't even eat the muffin. This place is all topsy-turvy. How can I retrieve some sense of normalcy in here? Establish your dominance, sir. Nice try, Bogworth. But I know what to do. I must proffer a challenge. Establish my dominance. Where have I heard that before? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. I must establish myself as High Poodle. You mean Top Dog, sir. Tomato, tomato, Bogworth. Now, I must defeat someone powerful to become more powerful. That way, I can keep my muffins. Or maybe take someone else's muffins. Maybe muffin possession is the key. Christ on a cracker. The next day in the cafeteria, Chop Henderson enacted his dumbass plan. All right, Bogworth, for the count of 17, begin chanting. 17, sir. Well, you know, it's a prime number. Counting, sir. One, Nothing interesting two, to see here. <laughs> Guards, just opening four, up this muffin for the butter. Five, mm, delicious butter six, in every nook, every cranny. Seven, uh, eight, see the way it oozes nine, down the sides. Ten, oh, but what's this? Oh no! Seven, I have it all over my fingers. 12, I can barely keep my grip on my delicious baked good. Oh no! 15, I am dropping it. No! Seventeen, sir. Oh, until it hits the floor! Confound it! What injustice! What cruel torture! Allowed only one muffin a meal? We want muffins! We want muffins! We want muffins! Come on, everybody, join me! What the hell is this? Come on! You kidding me? What kind of crap is this? Can't believe God! I demand that you acknowledge my petty complaint as a riot! What's the matter with you guys? I thought you liked this sort of thing! Who's making all this f***ing noise? Oh, oh, me, sir, me! We would like some more muffins, and we can see by our unified suffrage, we will not be stilled until our muffin supply has been increased fivefold! Or at least fourfold, or, uh, well, as many folds as we can get. How many folds do you have, anyway? Okay, listen here, dumbass. I don't care who your lawyer is, how much money you've got, or what kind of crime you did. You're not getting any more muffins. In here, I'm top dog. I'm the one who runs this hellhole. You're just a piece of sh A piece of sh I will enjoy squashing. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> no more muffins then? Did I stutter? Well, though you are in a position of authority, you give me no choice but to defeat you with all of these good prisoners as a witness. Bogworth, my gun. Confiscated, sir. Ah, 
Well, um, my, uh, my, my knife? Taken, sir. Okay, well, um, um, my, uh, my, my machete? Removed, sir. Don't you have anything deadly for me? No, master. All right, that's it. Guards, take this dumbass back to his cell. Well, that's that. Bodworth, my strangling hands. Equipped, sir. <laughs> and so they are. How about you? Ah! <laughs> <coughs> 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 Holy s***, he killed the warden! Whoa, dude, no way! You can't, what the? Get out of here! Take him down! Who's that boo-boo now? <laughs> And that's how Chop Henderson became acquainted with the box. Two weeks after solitary confinement, not a single muffin was to be seen. Having established himself as top dog, pardon high poodle, the questions remain, will things change? Or will they not change? For our pitiful prisoner, Chop Henderson. Incarcerated. In that episode of Chop Henderson, Ralph was Charles Berman, Chop Henderson was Pete Bowers, Bogworth was Bailiff Quimby, Officer was Charles Berman, Prisoner was Mickey Weishner, and the Warden was Jordan Randall. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin on WHRW Binghamton. This is This Day in History. Did you know that on July 23rd, 1937, Les Miserables, the first radio drama produced by Orson Welles and the fledgling Mercury Theatre, debuts? The show ran for a half an hour on Fridays from July until September of that year. All right, cast. I want to have the biggest budget radio drama ever produced. I want dancing ladies and swimming pools full of lobsters but, falling on the audience. But we're a radio show. They can't see that. I don't care. I... I am the enfant terrible of Hollywood, and whatever I say goes. Oh, now, my sprinklers and my sparklers and my dancing juggling balls. I'll pay for it all. My pin number is 6325 Could you repeat that? 6325 Now buy it all for me. 6325 Yes, yes, yes. Now buy me my glitz. Hey, hey, Shelly. Yeah? You want to go to Aruba? Let's do it. All right. Where's Shelly? Where's Valjean? Where's my cast? I can't do the play. Ugh, this is incredibly frustrating. I bet I've lost all my money, too. Sadly, Orson Welles had to uh, perform all the roles himself, which was uh, why uh, no one ever listened to the rest of the show after the first episode. Um, he was also broke, so he never had any money ever again, and no one has ever heard of him, so that's very sad. Make sure that you don't give out your PIN number. The same thing could happen to you. It's very unfortunate. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On July 30th, 1956, two years after pushing to have the phrase under God inserted into the Pledge of Allegiance, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signs a law officially declaring In God We Trust to be the nation's motto. The law also mandated that the phrase be printed on all American paper currency. Yes, I was inspired, ladies and gentlemen, to put In God We Trust after I read that tale of salvation, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And in honor of that wonderful Tale. I'm going to recreate it. Now, let's drink a toast. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, and every drop 
will drink. Wait, wait, sir. Don't do no, 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 no. Why shouldn't I have done that? Uh, it's salt water, sir. Oh, God. Who let this in here? This so is a thirsty. bad idea to It'll put in the glass. My salt bad. I'm thirstier. I'm thirsty. Give me real water. Here, get me real water. Get the present oh, real water. We have this pitcher of salt water. Oh, God. Maybe if he drinks more of it, it'll cancel out the no, Good idea. No, no. We need someone. Anyone. Water? Oh, hey, there's a faucet right here. And Does anyone have a cup? Does anyone have the president's cup? I have this cup of salt. That'll do. <laughs> here, drink this. Ah, that's worse. Ah. No, there's no winning with this guy. Uh, does anyone have an empty cup without salt? Just spit in his mouth. Here, uh, okay, here. Come, come. But saliva's salty. Ah. Help, help. God, this guy is really I'm picky. Thirsty. All right, does anyone have anything that the president won't die of? I, I think it's a little too late. I think you're the president now. Huzzah! First act, um, I don't know, I'm too thirsty to think. Someone get me a cup of water. And as it turned out, yes, on this day, his vice president, Mr. Saltman, did become the actual president. It was very uh, bad for the nation as he mandated that all people must drink salt water every day in honor of the president, and by the next day, everyone was dead. Uh, make sure that you don't drink salt water because it is very bad for you, and if you drank enough of it, apparently you could die. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But stop right there before you choke on something. My name is Lance Reddick, back for another episode of Celebrity, Where Are They Now in History, on Cast and Wax. And this time, history reminds me of a story from the set of Lost. That's right, I was working on the television show Lost, produced by J.J. Abrams. J.J. had stopped by the set for a surprise visit. He told me he was thirsty, so I gave him a cup of salt water I fished out of the ocean. He had no idea. He started drinking. He started choking. He could barely even speak. I could tell he wanted water, but I told him I had no money. He'd have to give me his card and his PIN number, so he wrote it down. Of course, I bought him the water, but in addition, I used his PIN number to fund the entire television series Fringe. After JJ realized what I'd done, he was so embarrassed he told everyone the show was his idea. I didn't want to go to jail, so I didn't argue. Long story short, JJ made two fatal mistakes. He drank salt water, and he gave out his PIN number. My name's Lance Reddick, and this is Celebrity, Where Are They Now in History on Cast in Wax. Nathan Van Etten saves Vermont! Six by Charles Berman, Charles Berman, Mickey, Pete, and Dan. Serb Dragoons, seize him. Nathan, no. Ow! God, Jane, I am right here. Nobody throws my son into a sap extractor, you Green Mountain fascists. Have at you. Curses! I had forgotten that beneath your asinine exterior lies a murderous master of martial arts. No time to talk. I'm beating these men to death. You never have time to talk. You are, by leaps and bounds, the worst father I have ever had. If the destruction of Vermont won't earn your affection, then I will take it by murdering people with the sap extractor. Starting with this girl. Ow! Let go of me! I'd rather not. Hey, could you guys keep it down? I can barely hear Knut Meg over your screaming and punching. I'll deal with you after I've dealt with you, little girl. Hey! 
That is a bridge too far, my fraternal friend. If you want to kill me for some reason because you hate dad for some reason, then that's business you have between you and me for some reason. And dad, I guess. But if you're going to go around threatening the woman I love, then the gauntlet of throwing plus two has well and truly been thrown down, mister. Oh, Nathan. Wait, what? How? Huh? Look, that doesn't even make sense. I'm just going to start with the sap extracting. No! God, you are such a bad listener. If you want to throw anybody into the sap extractor, don't hurt Jane or Ivana. It should be me. Such nobility of spirit. I'm proud of you, my son. Wait, that's what it takes to make you proud? A suicidal streak? Fine. Okay, whatever. This should make you real f***ing proud. Why, son, you've talked Nolan into killing himself. I'm double proud of you. God, would you shut up? I can't hear the band over your stupid fighting. Look, Bansicle, there's more important things than your stupid indie music. What did you just say? You heard me, Shorty. Your band sucks, you suck, on the band, and we'll murder the bad guys as loud as the hell we want. Oh, it is on, fat ass. Pig. Tramp! Bitch! Double bitch! Wow, really? That's pathetic. You're like, even more pathetic than your nerd boyfriend. What? Listen, you- I will- And chew off your- Wow. What do those words mean? I guess I had a nerve there. You must really love the little loser, don't you? Die, horse conundrum to worry about. You really dodged being pushed into that horrific sap extractor neatly, Jane. Yeah. Too bad about that cunt-sucking demon spawn of an infatuation you used to have. You... You seem to have killed my wife, Ivana Van Doren Van Buren. If it was any consolation, she... She was a bitch. And it was an accident. Technically. Oh well. Guess I'll have to find another random groupie to marry. How about, uh, you, with the face? Me? 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 Yes, sure. Yes! I do! I do! I want to be Vanessa Van Peebles Van Buren! <sighs> Whatever. Let's run off. Sap Extractor was Ann B. Davis Maple Syrup Company property, owned by the Ann B. Davis Maple Syrup Company. Any and all rights to its operation belonged exclusively to the Ann B. Davis Maple Syrup Company. You seem to have ruined it by feeding it people instead of trees, violently murdering them in the process. But it was an accident! Technically! And for love! As a consequence, Nathan, you will be responsible for all damages and replacement costs to be paid in full and immediately to the owner and board of directors of the Ann B. Davis Maple Syrup Company. But he started it! He killed himself! In the sap extractor! Since you are his next of kin, you are also responsible for any damages and replacement costs incurred by him, to be paid in full and immediately to the owner and board of directors of the Ann B. Davis Maple Syrup Company. But he's dead! He killed himself! 
in the sap extractor! As his next of kin, you are the new owner and board of directors of the N.B. Davis Maple Syrup Company. What? He's... Di- what? Are you joking? No. My... my joke was earlier. Congratulations, Nathan. Even in death, your brother has succeeded in making you an integral part of the rapacious corporate machine of the business world. Now you can shoulder the responsibility of sating your own outsized appetite for syrup. Responsibility? Shoulders? What? Can't I just pass it off to all these mistreated syrup workers or something? Your statement has been heard and witnessed by three witnesses, one of whom is a licensed notary public. That is to say, me. The N.B. Davis Maple Syrup Company is now the property of the employees of the N.B. Davis Maple Syrup Company, who are also now the board of directors of the N.B. Davis Maple Syrup Company. As co-director of the N.B. Davis Maple Syrup Company, I notice that there is a goblet of young lady fouling up the sap extractor. I'll just reach in and pull it... Fascinating. Her desiccated body could actually be restored if we moistened it. Well, I guess we'll have to unplug that before anybody else tries to clean it. Then we might as well go home. But Nathan, we still haven't found your voice. Well, Jane, given how much you've talked to me all the time, it's like you're filling in the empty space inside my head. And, well, my heart. Nathan? You were right, Jane. Ivana was never there for me. Whereas... I cannot feasibly get rid of you. I will never stop mourning my first love, but as second loves go, I couldn't do better than you. Oh, Nathan. I can recognize that's a compliment rather than a veiled insult. Congratulations, Nathan. You are now emotionally, as well as anatomically, a man. And that's the sign that a lesson has truly been learned. Let's go home. In that lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten, Nathan Van Etten was Mickey Weishner, Roland Von Etzen was Ed Jones, Jane was Aaron Morrissey, Ivana Van Doren Van Buren was Julia Kelly, Nathan's dad was Daniel Schwartz, Newt Van Doren was Ben Kleinman, Vanessa Van Peebles was Cheryl Casey, and Helen was Lisa Paquette. Thank you very much, Rory. It is great to have heard all of those shows. That was a really a lot of fun. So, before we get to our listener mail, we have to get to Recast in Wax, the kind of change-up reality show we're doing here where one of these lovely contestants gets to start a new segment stealing that segment basically from one of the other people let's see what you guys have come up with uh, we already heard from scape his idea what was it again scape oh uh, yeah i'm gonna do one called the scape debate well i'm gonna debate somebody and uh yeah that's about it okay okay the scape debate obviously taking off from Frank Allen's Debatatorium or Car Debate. Both of which were great. Yes, but although I, I created Debatatorium. Well. Well, what? It's true. Okay. Now, Frank, uh, what have you got for us? You uh, are are taking something of a cue from Mr. Roy Sinjin. What did you come up with for your show? Uh, thank you for asking. I am going to set up a panel show with myself and uh, and any guests that I happen to have on the panel. It is going to be an advice show. And it's going to be known as Frank Advice. Well, now, now, hold on. That's not... I mean, I don't give advice. Well, right. No, that's the thing. I mean, people write to you with their problems, and then you don't give them advice. So I'm going to kind of one-up you in that respect, in that people can write to me with their problems, and then I will actually give them Frank Advice, along with uh, the, the people who are there with me, who are probably not named Frank, but will also give you advice, which is, in its nature, Frank. And, in fact, in its, uh, in its source... 
Frank in the sense that it's my show. All right. That's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Frank advice. Uh, cool. Cool. So that, I guess then if people do have problems they, they want you to address, they should write into you at castandwax at gmail.com. Absolutely. Please. Yes. In fact, please do. Frank advice is looking for your problems. Write into us, castandwax at gmail.com. Excellent. Excellently well done. And Rory, that just leaves you uh, taking a cue from something about Scapy's contributions. What have you got for us? Well, uh, I, yes, I do want to take a cue from Scapy, but I do still want to use my extra historical skills. So I have come up with a series called Rory's Stories from Another World. Rory's Stories from Another World. Okay. Uh, so what are, what, what's going to be, what are you going to be doing on that? Well, we're going to be looking at the great classical works of literature, and I'll have a guest on, and that guest will tell me what is their favorite work of classical literature, and then I will tell them about how that work is different in another world. So it's just like your other segments where you just make stuff up. No, because I'm discovering another world, but now I'm doing it through literature instead of through history. It's it's a, it's absolutely a different thing. It's taking a cue from Scapey Stories. Yes, clearly, clearly that's based on Scapey Stories. Yes, Rory Stories. So it will be very good. All right, well, that's, that's great. So those are going to be, guys, uh, over the next three episodes, you're going to be hearing those three segments. Um, the Scape Debate, Frank Advice, and Rory Stories, and... After you've heard them all, you'll get to vote on which one you want to hear more of in a special segment we like to call Recast in Wax. Ah, that's exciting. That's some exciting stuff. Well, I'm glad that it excites you. It does. It does. And I guess I'll have to do like one of those little, you know, confessional type things where you guys talk about making them after after you've made them. You know, that, that'll be kind of neat. And you guys can comment on each other's stuff and da 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 Well, I'll save you the time. Theirs is going to be crappy. Mine's going to be great. Okay, okay. well, uh, smack talk is, I guess, part of the game. Oh, well, then in that case, I'm going to win. So. I already won. Well, you didn't, I mean, you didn't already win, Scape. What are you talking about? Well, might as well. Okay. Anyway, we've got uh, a few pieces of email here. Uh, let's see. What do we got? What do we got? Uh, we got one here for Scape. Uh, dear Scape. I'm your biggest fan. Oh, thank you. You are like the best cat out there. Me and all my friends say Scape is the best. You are totally the coolest, best-looking cat. Uh, will you sign my copy of Ferocious Feline Apples 8? It is my favorite of your movies. Sincerely, Digby Berlin. Hmm. Why is he talking about Ferocious Feline Apples? I'm not a Frank Allen. No, I, that's not... First of all, that's not true. And second of all, that's not what he's, they're talking about. They're not talking about a person who behaves in a jerkish manner, and therefore we will call that person that thing. They're talking about the actual hole of the butt. Well, because, I, I mean, that's the thing. I am a ferocious feline, so I am ferocious feline, but I'm not Right. They're, they're, I think they're saying, I mean, I guess they're saying it's the, the asshole itself, the actual whole anus is ferocious and belongs to a feline. Um, Scape, it's, I, uh, this person is, this person is writing in about the things that, that happened to you when you were kidnapped. Oh, um, I don't remember those things too much. Well, that's, I mean, good. That's probably for the best. Um, guys, I, I think Scape has blocked out those memories, so it's probably best if we don't ever mention them again. I, uh, I mean, I know it's not necessarily healthy to go into that kind of denial, but I think... How else is he going to live his life, given what happened to him? Yeah, that's basically how I feel, I think. Yeah, you don't even remember it, though, so how can you feel that well, way? I, don't, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that's how I feel, but sounds good, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. Okay, well, um, so Digby, no, is the answer no. 
In fact, if you send it to us, we'll probably throw it away. Sorry. So hopefully you won't do that. Okay. Uh, what else we got here? Um, oh, here's one for uh, Rory. Dear Rory, my cacti finally arrived. They were very small and dead. They were clearly not even worth close to $1,000. If my money is not refunded immediately, I will be forced to take legal action. Thank you for your attention. Carter Bradley. Ah, well, Mr. Bradley, listen, I actually have consulted my lawyer about this. Um, my lawyer, uh, Mr. Mr. Roma, uh, has told me that I'm perfectly justified in all of this, uh, and everything I did was above board and legal because uh, I was providing you a service. And you say that the cactus was clearly not worth even close to $1,000, but I would argue that that's not true because you paid $1,000 for them. So um, people are only, you know, things only have value of what people are willing to pay for them. And since you paid $1,000, uh, it is now worth $1,000. So you can you can sell that cactus as a cactus that is worth $1,000. Uh, so it's totally above oh, board. Rory, Rory, I, I, I wanted to tell you about that. I'm sorry? Yeah, I, I had an idea about that. You had an idea about the cactus thing? Yeah, yeah, come here, come here, come here. Okay, what is it? Well, right. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, okay, um, yes, um... Also, I just remembered, totally unrelated to what Scape was saying to me, that what happened was this. Uh, I purchased the cactus on your behalf, as I was meant to, from the email that you sent to me, uh, us, I should say. And uh, then once the cactus arrived at, in my possession, I realized that it was the perfect cactus to give to my beloved uh, uh, girlfriend, Mrs. Miss, uh, June T. Loveburger, and I thought... Upon receipt of that cactus, she would be very happy and appreciative and probably, you know, love me more than she does now. So I was going to keep it, but then I thought, well, um, this person also ordered it, so I should give it to them. And then I thought, but I can't bear to part with it. It now has a value to me that is higher than the regular value of an, a typical cactus, because it's now in my possession and I have intentions for it and I, I have a belief that it will bring me more love and things like that. So now it is worth so much more to me, say, $1,000. And so having arrived at that price as the price that I would give, be willing to give up the cactus that I owned at that moment, um, I thought, well, he said he wanted to buy a cactus. I only have the one set of cacti, which I am selling, and would only be willing to sell for $1,000. So therefore, he is offering to pay $1,000. So if you don't mind, um, I, I believe you should withdraw your threat of legal action because... As you can see, everything is legal uh, in this transaction. Uh, you got what I would say is agreed upon uh, cacti, which are universally now known to be worth $1,000 on all sides of the transaction. Both sides have learned that that is the price that is paid in order to move those cacti around. So if you want to sell them again, it's possible they've appreciated in value. You can sell them for more than $1,000, especially upon hearing the stories of them, um, although I wouldn't have mentioned that they were dead when you uh, sent the email in if you were looking to sell them, but that's your business, I suppose. They are now your cactuses. Oh, cacti, perhaps. Okay, um, that's interesting. Um, anyway, Frank, uh, you want to read the next email for us? It's another one for Scape, um, but it's a, it's a little bit longer of an email. All right, uh, let's see. What do you got? Wow, uh, that is pretty long. Okay. Uh, Dear Mr. White... My name is Dr. David Wittenholm, Ph.D., Chair of the Department of Literature and Rhetoric at Vestal University. I'm writing to you in regards to your original composition, 
Rolododototo. I stumbled upon the work entirely by accident, though I am a professor whose area of expertise lies mostly in 18th century British works of fiction. I am also fond in my spare time of taking in various tales of the Japanese phenomenon known as kaiju. The tales of these giant monsters scratch, as they say, a different itch than Radcliffe's mysteries of Udolfo, as I am sure you would guess. It was on one of the many kaiju-themed message boards I frequent that I came across a link to your song, and while at first I considered it to be a pleasant enough diversion, I have since come to a much deeper and indeed profound understanding of the work and what it has to say about the nature of evil, responsibility, and man's place in the grand scheme of the world. I am writing to you to let you know that I plan on holding a seminar on the work for my graduate students next semester. If at all possible, I'd love for you to appear at the seminar or even send a video, audio, or textual message to the students regarding the work and its meaning to you. For my part, I see the discussion as focused on the question of good and evil in the world. While one might be inclined to consider killing an entire continent of people an evil act, the song specifically absolves its protagonist of any such label. In a real sense, it tells us, he is ignorant, and therefore, he really isn't evil. The song even goes so far as to say that given the opportunity to change things, to help alleviate all the suffering, or at least prevent future suffering, the answer lies not in trying to reason with the unreasoning force that is Rolodototo, but rather in talking to the birds which the destructive creature has been following, birds which presumably already have a moral sense of right and wrong, and informing them that their actions of flying all over the world, while usually benign, are currently responsible for a swath of death and destruction the likes of which the world has never known. The ignorant, it says, cannot be blamed, for their intentions are not blameful. The intelligent, however, must be held accountable not just for themselves, but also for those around them. Indeed, the one person the song seems to judge most harshly is the one who takes arms against the innocent kaiju. While traditional values consider self-defense to be justified, when cast against the morally absolved position we've come to understand Rolodototo to occupy, this so-called self-defender looks more like a bully than anything else. One wonders if, in fact, the entire piece was intended as a definitive statement against the idea of capital punishment against the mentally handicapped. I welcome your input and hope that our seminar will proceed with your blessing, even if you do not have the time or inclination to make that blessing seen slash heard slash read. Thank you. David Wittenholm, Ph.D., Department Chair, Literature and Rhetoric, Vestal University, Vestal, New York. Wow, Scape, that was a really... Scape. Scape! Scape, did you just sleep through that? That was a very long letter, Dad. I was tired. Scape, they were... They were writing in to talk about how great Rolodototo was. Yeah, it's pretty good. I wrote that song. It was my first rock song for rock school, and I was very, I was very good when I wrote that. Well, good, but he's talking about all this, you know, deeper meaning that it has about good and evil and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Is that true? Yeah. You meant it to have deeper meaning. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Uh, Dr. Wittenholm, it looks like your, uh, your ideas are right on, says Scape. He, he believes everything you said. Yeah, um, did he, well, what did he say? You, you, well, you must have heard it, because you were listening, right? Yeah, I was sleeping, I just told you that. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm kind of punishing you for that, by not telling you what it said. That's not fair! Go back and listen to the podcast, then, and you can talk about it next time. Maybe he'll write back. Well, that's not fair. I think it's perfectly fair. You should pay attention when you get emails. I was asleep before you even said it was for me. <sighs> that's worse, though. All right, let's keep going. Um, okay, we still got a whole bunch of emails. Let's let's try to blaze right through them. Rory, can you read this one, please? Uh, yes. Dear fine folks of Cast and Wax, 
thoroughly enjoyed the past episode. A few quick questions. How did you get Max Thornfield to be Scapey's audience and the ruler of your communist zoo? Also, someone requested in last week's listener mail that Scapey retell the story of Prometheus, and I would like to second that suggestion, as it was a visually stunning film with no discernible moral. And if anyone can surgically extract a scary moral from it, it's our favorite Alfuri Hitchcock. If the rest of the Friday 13th films are holding him back, he can summarize them all as, same as the last one, but Jason dies, comes back to life, faces a psychic chick, goes to the city, goes to hell, goes to space, fights Freddy Krueger, and starts all over again with better special effects. Also, I wanted to make Jordan feel better. Don't know why Max Thornfield didn't mention this to you, but the days all the zoo visitors died happened to be the day that the Westboro Baptist Church rented the entire zoo for their own private party. So if you're still concerned, rest assured, they can just make more Westboroans in their cloning cylinders. Finally, don't be so hesitant to turn on the AC next time my ipod was actually leaking with the collective sweat you were perspiring not the think different innovation i'd been hoping for keep up the great work everyone bailiff quimby thank you very much bailiff uh you know that's interesting you say max thornfield that wasn't max thornfield they're they're just totally unrelated uh, people they have nothing in common whatsoever um the guy who runs the zoo for me is a guy whose name is mike pembleton uh he's a animal uh, psychologist so he doesn't have very much in common with with Max at all. Max, of course, being a an adventurer and superhero or science hero, depending on who you ask. Uh, and then uh, and then and then the other guy, uh, the guy who was in Scape's audience, that was Lord Vanton Zest. He's a a fashionable time traveler from the future. He's not a uh, yeah. He's not a he's not Max Thornfield either. So. I, I, I'm sorry you were confused, and I don't quite understand why that is. Uh, but there you are. As for Prometheus, I still haven't seen it, so I can't tell it's escapey. But I, I'll see. I, I probably won't see it. I'll be honest with you. I probably won't see it until it comes out on video or on Netflix or something. So, But if there's a chance I'll see it then, and I'll, and I'll, try, to, I'll try to watch it for everybody. Um, as for the Westboro Baptist Church dying, you know, I don't want anybody to die. But if they were clones, I guess if somebody's got to die, clones are better than anyone else. We got some more email here, right? Yeah, um, okay, I'll read this one, uh, sure. Dear Jordan D. White, I'm Katie. I know you don't know me, but I saw the videos that you made and I liked them, so thank you. I like the songs you play on the ukulele. I really like the happy birthday song. I'm five years old and my dad's typing because I don't know how to spell, but I know how to play some ukulele notes. I play on my dad's ukulele and I think he's learning from you how to play the ukulele. The voice of your cat is very funny. Do you know my birthday is in October? Uh, when is your birthday? I really like your banjolele playing. Love. Katie. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to hear from a, a, uh, a young listener. I'm sorry that we have so much content that is not appropriate for you. But um, your birthday's in October. Well, happy birthday in October. That's a bit away. My birthday is in December. It's on December 18th. Um, just for you, really quick. Um, happy birthday, come on, blow out the candles. It's been too long to sign it, what wish to make. Happy birthday, come on, blow out the candles. Before the wax drips down the rules of cake. Nobody likes eating those wax strips. Go on and do it. We all know what your wish is, Katie. That's super early. Pretend that's in October. Or listen to that again in October. Or ask me again in October and maybe I'll, I'll sing it again. But thank you so much for listening. It's super, super great to hear from you. Uh, Rory, why don't you read this one for us? Sure. Um, hey, guys, I thought you'd be interested to know that Jean-Baptiste was able to meet with the Queen this week and sounds like they are moving forward on reopening the London Institute for Extra-Historical Studies. I know, Frank, and probably Jordan, I hear you griping about how extra-history is bull**t, and I tend to agree, but Jean-Baptiste is a great guy, and if Rory can make money on his bull**t science, why shouldn't Jean-Baptiste? And he might be able to make it less bull**t 
Anyway, he also met with some hotshot scientists over in London who seemed to buy into his theories. Anyway, he asked me to thank you, Rory, for bringing him to New York in the first place and then helping him to make the decision to meet with the Queen. He'll be staying in my townhouse and making trips to London, work on the Institute for the foreseeable future. Thought you'd like to know. You had a hand in making history. Pun intended. Also, Jordan, your AC was barely audible. I think you could run it the whole time. I'm sure you'll be glad to hear that for the future since I think it's going to be hot for a while. Lynn, this is a letter, so, from our friend Lynn Nelson. Um, to the main point of this letter, I do want to say I actually have the air conditioning running now, and we're, we're feeling a lot better, so thank you for letting me know. No, Jordan, I didn't think that was the main point of the letter. I think the main point of the letter, this is that Jean-Baptiste, who I was going to give a scholarship to my institute, is starting his own institute in London. When, why didn't the Queen just have me start the institute in London? I would have been happy to do so. We we see each other on a regular basis. I mean, come on. Probably because she knows you're full of crap. No, I don't think that's what it is. Thank you very much. Well, actually, Roy, we have another uh, letter on that same subject. So, uh, Frank, you want to read this one for us? Another letter? Yeah, okay, I'll read it. Um, Dear Professor Sinjin, the excitement that thrills me as I anticipate the start of the semester is nearly impossible to describe. However... Over the last week, I have encountered a small problem that I wonder if you could assist me in resolving. In an attempt to get practical hands-on practice for the all-important learning of extra history that I was soon to do under your incomparable tutelage, I set up a small extra-historical readings booth in Midtown Manhattan and used some invented financial instruments, all valid in other universes, to produce the equivalent value in thousands of dollars of advertising for it. All seemed to be going well until complaints started coming in from various quarters about certain of what I thought were very logical readings that I had given. For instance, I naturally told all beautiful women who came into my booth about the alternate universes in which they went to bed with me. Of course, if a rich person came in, I would tell them about the universes in which they gave me a lot of money, etc. Some people, not versed in the advanced science of extra history, as I soon will be, took this as a reason to shut down my booth and implied heavily that there may be repercussions for the discipline itself. What should I do best? See Jean-Baptiste Saint-Seraph. What? I... I was... What? I'm... Now I'm incredibly confused. So, is is Jean-Baptiste starting an extra-historical studies institute in London, or is he doing this thing in Manhattan? Well, it sounds like he's doing both. I guess the part that confuses me is it sounds like he's still planning to attend your institute even while he's starting his own institute in London. Well, that's, I mean, that's nonsense. Oh, is it, though? Is it? Because think about it this way, Rory. Um, you, you ever you ever hear the the brain teaser about how do you beat how do you make sure you can absolutely beat a chess master at chess? What how I what is a chess master? The, the, well, the trick is what you do is you play two games simultaneously with two chess masters. One where you go first, one where you go second, and then what you do is your opponent who goes first goes, and then you do the same exact move against the other check chess master, and then when he rep replies. You do that that move against the first chess master, et cetera, et cetera. You're playing two games, but really they're playing against each other and they just don't know it. What? What are you talking about? Well, I'm saying so maybe he's going to go to your institute here and then experience your classes and then reteach the exact same classes in London uh, to his students. That way, funding his own life, he's got a, a scholarship from you and he's getting paid for teaching those same classes. That's, uh, th that, well, that's actually uh, quite a brilliant plan. But I don't appreciate it being used on me. Because, I, again, I could just teach those classes in London and then get the money twice. Yeah, well, the Queen's already given the job to him, so... Well, yes, okay, fine. There is all of that. But then even his brilliant-ish plan aside, you know, there's still the fact that that he has just given extra history a bad name by, by doing... I mean, you know, realistically speaking, yes, all of these readings he's giving are are sensible. You know, there is... 
a world in which all attractive women do sleep with me, and, and I, I know about that world very well. I know a lot about that world. But I don't tell everyone about, you know what I'm saying? I keep that world to myself many of the times when I think about it. Very healthy. I, and I'm assuming you don't tell June about it. Well, no, I mean, I don't. She, I mean, as a studier of extra history, she knows that that world exists as well. But, of course, she doesn't think about that world as much as I do, I'm sure. So the point is, and the same with money. There's a, there's a world where all rich people give me all their money, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but I don't always rub that in their face. Why would I? I mean, especially since I'm trying to make this world be a world where they give me all their money. And so, I mean, re really, John baptiste what you're, what you're mistaking here is that you think that telling them about this world would make this world more likely. It, in fact, makes it less likely, because you say, there's a world in which this happens, and they go, well, it's not going to happen here, is it? That's what they, you know, that's how they respond to these things. Look, John baptiste you are, you are on thin ice, and if, if you want to try to perpetrate this scheme that you're trying to perpetrate, you're going to have to cut me in for some of that money. And you and you might have to lose your scholarship, so. You're not just going to kick him out of your school? No, because, it, you know, it's a, it's, it is a pretty good plan. It is a pretty well-thought-out plan, really. You have to respect that kind of trickery. Well, I mean, on a certain level. But I, I, it's not, I mean, because trickery has nothing to do with extra history, just so you know. It's just, I, I appreciate some smart maneuvers in the business world. Oh, all right, can we just move on to a different letter? Yes, uh, we can. We have two more. Let's see. Uh, question for the host. Dear hosts of Cast and Wax, I almost can't believe it, but I'm already up to 104 of my quest to listen to every episode of the podcast. So much has been revealed and illuminated with yet more mysteries to unfold. So complex and fascinating is the tapestry of Cast and Wax narrative that I've decided that once I'm caught up, I'm going to go back to the beginning and catalog all the events for posterity. I'm very interested in building a wiki for Cast and Wax and would love to work with you all towards that goal, if you're interested. On a related note, I have been thinking about creating some fan art, but I realize I only know what two of the four regular hosts look like. I've seen Jordan and Scape, but I have yet to hear a description of Rory or Frank, save for the episodes where Frank is described as fat, old, and ugly. Is there any way I could find a photo or illustration of the four hosts for reference? Thanks again for an amazing podcast. Every episode keeps me waiting for the next. Steve. Thank you so much for writing in, Steve. And uh, I've actually spoken with Steve a bit on Twitter, and I'll let you all know that he's actually listened to the whole series now. He's caught up entirely. Uh, and he and I have started the Cast and Wax wiki. Right now, there's no link to it uh, on the main site because I'm kind of hoping we could get it, you know, a little bit more developed before it's, it becomes a big thing on the website. But if you go to waxwork.com slash wiki, it'll come up, and you'll see what we've got so far. Right now, we've got some episode... Uh, summaries or some episode lists of the of the podcast we've got uh, a couple of the series page up pages up but not a ton of them so anything you want to add to the wiki hey please do we've got lots to do so hop on there uh regarding your question about what we look like uh, first of all i'm not fat old and ugly well i mean frank relatively to the rest of jordan's us. pretty fat uh, frank it's true look i just i don't i appreciate people writing in and and saying that about us saying that about me you know, my, my, there are clips of my show on YouTube. Go on YouTube and you can find pictures of me on there. I think those are restricted by, by country. So the, in, in our country, we can't see those. Ugh, well, look, just go to, go on Google. Type in my name in Google. Okay. Uh, Frank Allen, I'm putting it in quotes. Oh, yeah. If you just look on Google image search, a picture of him is right there on the first page. So no worries. Does that work for me too? No, it doesn't. Unfortunately, I just typed in Roy Sinjin and you now I get lots of weird. Stuff, lots of really weird stuff. Well, that, I mean, that does make sense. I try to keep a low profile on the internet. But rest assured, I'm, you know, everything that you, you heard about Frank, I'm pretty much the opposite. Much younger, much thinner, much better looking. And you like to wear bow ties. Well, I mean, 
Not all the time, but yes, sometimes. You're wearing one now. I, yes, I know that. Because I, I have a date after this. <laughs> oh, Rory. Anyway, um, yes. We've got one more letter, one final letter. Frank, will you read this to me, please? Sure. Uh, let's see. Dear Comrade White, I am glad that our discussion has reached a point wherein your only reason for not coming to Cuba is that it's so hot. Cuba is indeed a rather hot country. Fortunately, I think we can finalize our deal since the government of Cuba is willing to offer you free central air conditioning in your home once you move. Will it be possible for you to present you and your wife's passports to the Cuban consulate so that we can issue your visas? Thank you, Raul Castro, first secretary of the Communist Party of Cuba, president of the Republic of Cuba. No, I, no, I was just, I was saying it was hot yesterday, or last time, I should say, because it was really hot here, and I didn't want to go somewhere that was hotter, but that's not the only reason. I, I mean, I, the fact is, oh, gosh... Am I going to say this? I guess I am. I, Raul, I kind of love America. I know that's a weird thing to say, being a socialist and all, and it's a little nutty. But I kind of do love America, and I want America to be better, and I want America to be more socialist, and I want America to start spending more money, and I want America to have higher taxes, and I want America to have bigger government. But... All of that is grown from the seed of the America that I love. There's something in the current America that I don't want to give up on. And uh, also, Cuba is... is well, any, anything else I say you're going to misconstrue, it's because I love America. How about that? So I'd be happy to work with Cuba if it becomes America. You know he's going to misconstrue that. I don't know how you could misconstrue that. Uh, look, uh, I'd be willing to advocate for Cuba to become the 51st state, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, Jordan, I, you really shouldn't have said that. Well, I, <laughs> I did. Anyway, um, that's all the listener mail we've got this time. Please write into us at castinwax at gmail.com. That's castinwax at gmail.com. And we will read your mail on the air, so to speak, and comment on it. Um, what we've got next time, we're going to have... I believe we're going to have a, a special Frank Allen. No, a special Slam Jackson. We're going to have uh, something else serial-wise. Not quite 100% sure what that's going to be. And hopefully one of our recast in wax specials. For now, here is me playing on my banjolelli the Prince song from the Batman soundtrack, The Arms of Orion. Be seeing you. Orion's arms are wide enough to hold us both together all the worlds apart. Across the stars for you, in the heart of a sleepless moon, I'd be with you forever. This is my destiny, until my life is through. Oh, the arms of Orion, that's where I want to be. Since you've been gone, I've been searching for a lover in the sea of tranquility. Drowning without you here, my dear. Comfort there. God only knows where you are tonight. God only knows where you are tonight. Maybe time will tell me, then, then I'll close my eyes and say a prayer for you. So, the arms of Orion, that's where I want to be. Since you've been gone, I've been searching for a lover in the sea of tranquility. Drowning without you here, my dear. Orion's heart is bright enough to shine on both of us. The constellations never fail to light the way for love. 
lion's arms are wide enough to hold us both together, although we're worlds apart. I crossed the stars for you, the arms of Orion, that's where I want to be. Since you've been gone, I've been searching for a lover in the sea of tranquility. Drowning without you here, my dear. The arms of Orion, that's where I want to be. Since you've been gone, I've been drowning in the sea of tranquility. Drowning without you here, my dear.